talking the Winter Olympics now. As you've been hearing our last few episodes, we're gearing up now for the 2018 Olympics in Pyeongchang, and we've had a few opportunities here. I wanted to do a bit of a preview episode, and then last week, if you listen, we talked to Andy Naughty, which began our series on moguls as uh, the first preview sport we're going to look at here. And we're going to continue that as Andy Naughty represented the Canadian side of this. This week, we're going to talk about Brittany Cox, who is representing the Australian side of the mogul sport, which is my favorite sport, the reason why I'm doing this interview and not Ben, who usually talks to the Australians. And again, if you have heard the last two episodes, and you've probably already heard about Brittany Cox, and she's a skier who, over the last couple seasons, has slowly risen a little bit more and more each year, and then really came out of nowhere this year and ended up finishing the season as the number one ranked mogul skier in the entire world, uh, something that here in Canada got a lot of attention, which we do talk to her about, how the differences are in Australia with the media attention, or we get to find out just how young of an age Brittany got into this sport. And believe it or not, we actually interrupted her training to do this interview, so we caught her about halfway through the day into the training as well. And it really has been a spectacular season, not just for Brittany, but for Australia as well. So uh, we get some of her opinions on, you know, what's going on in Australia right now regarding winter sports versus summer sports. And as well, if you've listened to our other interviews, at least with the Canadian athletes, and you listened to the one with Andy Naughty last week, we do get to give... Brittany the opportunity to answer the I am Canadian questions which in this case will be I am Australian questions so we get the fun questionnaire on the end there and so here it is our second in our series of moguls preview interviews with Australian freestyle skier Brittany Cox And we're thrilled today to be joined on Off the Podium by the number one mogul skier in the world right now, the reigning world champion, and somebody that uh, has pretty much knocked all the Canadians off the podium. So that's the only reason that our show title has any relevance today, because we pretty much have to rename it on the podium now. We're joined today by Brittany Cox, uh, who of course is from Australia, I'm not. This is Breaking With Tradition, Ben, who usually covers the Australian interviews, uh, he's unavailable. But this is my favorite sport, so I had to be here to talk about this one. And particularly just with everything that's gone down this past year, I have to ask just right off the bat, can you please tell us like what is in the drinking water of the Australian Freestyle <laughs> Moguls team? What have you done? You've, you've destroyed my country. I don't know. Uh, so much has happened in the last year. Um, can you maybe just catch us up on uh, anything uh, 
from last season to this season that's changed? Oh, well, thanks very much for having me on. And I'm very excited to hear that mogul skiing is your favorite sport. Um, that's awesome. But, yeah, I think we had we had a really exciting year for um, our, our whole entire mogul team in Australia this year. And, um, you know, I had my personal best season. I think Brody had his best season. Matt had some really strong results as well. So um, it was really exciting for us. And uh, I think that's probably the question that I've been asked the most um, throughout the season and since I've been home is, like, what happened? What's clicked? And, yeah. and I was kind of said to everyone like what I don't really think anything's clicked necessarily I think it's just probably um an accumulation of training over a number of years that's kind of finally starting to pay off for me I think um that I I did very similar training the year before I did all the same training camps just um I think the type of skiing that I was trying to do it it takes time and um it takes you know a lot of work over a number of years and I think that volume and, and consistency is is starting to pay off now. Well, why don't you go back and just, uh, I guess, let us know how you got into the sport. Like, at what age did you start skiing and at what age did you become interested in mogul skiing? Well, I, uh, I grew up in a small ski resort in Australia called Falls Creek, which is, um, well, I guess it's, it's not small for Australia. We have five major ski resorts in Australia and um, Falls Creek's one of the major ones. Um, so my family ran a um, family business in accommodation up over Falls Creek. So I was born in a winter environment and pretty much on skis as soon as I could walk. So um, I guess it was only natural for me to to be out there skiing every day after school and on the weekends. And, you know, I did a variety of different winter sports. I did alpine racing, cross country, had a go at snowboarding. Um, but mogul skiing was kind of the thing that I would do after school chasing my older brother around the mountain we'd kind of go and build a jump off in the trees or ski in a line of bumps on on one of the runs and I'd always be chasing him around and I think that's where the, my passion for mogul skiing really um, started and then once I started competing for the school I realized that I loved competition and um, I could just you know I could I could see myself taking it further in, in the years to come and that's that's sort of really where it started for me. I think that's the thing that I found most interesting in doing this show and all the different Olympians we talk to is that for me as a viewer, I sort of watch this assuming everybody's like me watching the Olympics religiously, thinking one day I want to be Usain Bolt or something like that. You know, one day I want to be Mikhail Kingsbury. But in actuality, I mean, the majority of the athletes that are competing in the Olympics, you just got into it kind of for fun. But was there any point you know, as a child or growing up where you were watching the Olympics and you thought that could be me one day? Yeah, I think that's, that's you're right, that's true for a lot of mogul skis. It starts off as a family sport and skiing is it's definitely very much a family sport. So um, I definitely enjoyed skiing with my family from a really young age. But I remember competing in my first ever mogul skiing event when I was eight years old. It was a school competition in Australia. We run the, the inter-schools program where you compete in all skiing disciplines for your school. And I won the mogul skiing event when I was eight, and I was just like, yes, this is so, like such a great feeling, and I loved the competition. And I think a year before that would have been the, the Salt Lake Olympics uh, when Elisa Camplin won gold in aerial skiing. Um, well, that was a really exciting moment for winter sports in Australia, and um, it, that was definitely very inspiring for me and to see her um, – be successful in winter sports coming from as an Australian where you know we're typically seen as a summer sport nation I think 
that really opened up to my eyes to um, where the sport could potentially take me at, in sort of an elite environment. That's one of the things that we kind of joked about back during Rio was that, you know, for Canadians, we don't really have a lot to brag about in the Summer Olympics, you know, from year to year. And then uh, <laughs> Ben and Jared, are the the Australian coast we had there, saying, well, we're not going to have a lot to say when it comes to the Winter Olympics. But, I mean, that seems to be completely changing this year. There's, there's a lot of excitement, you know, uh, both with moguls and even aerials going into Pyeongchang next year. Um, how are you noticing, like, are the, are the reactions different, you know, compared to a year or two ago that you're getting in Australia? Or what type of attention or media attention is there now behind this with the amount of success you've had? Um, I guess probably media attention hasn't really started to pick up and focus on the Olympics just yet. I think um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that kind of comes in the coming months as we get closer towards Korea. But um, yeah, that's right. In Australia, we are seen as kind of a summer sport nation. When you think of athletes, Australian athletes, you think of surfing and swimming. So, but you know, the reality is we we are getting strong results in winter sports now. And we just had, um, as an Australian team, we just had our best ever season for um, winter sports results across the board, not just in freestyle, but in snowboarding and also figure skating. Um, so, it, I think the the reaction and the vibes amongst the Australian team is is really good at the moment. It's really positive and exciting, and um, I think that's just a really good. Uh, indication of the pathways and the programs that we have here they're, they're working and, and also sort of looking forward it's very motivating for us as athletes and and inspiring us to work hard over the, the next couple of months it's kind of funny just to hear that there there isn't as much media attention because f- just from my own experience watching you know the the moguls gets on our I guess you could call it our national network. It gets coverage probably seven, six or seven weeks out of the year, you know, like two hours every single Saturday. And you've probably had more media attention here in Canada from what it sounds than you've had even in Australia. I mean, even just in uh, just in, in looking up, trying to find some other interviews over the last week or so, I mean, I'm finding stuff from our network here, CBC, and not so much anything else. Uh, have you found that there's a lot of attention in Canada or in America or other countries in the world? Yeah, it's quite interesting being on the World Cup circuit and seeing how the different nations respond to mogul skiing and how much they know about the sport. I think um, in general across Australia, a lot of people aren't too familiar with mogul skiing. They, they don't really understand when they watch it how it's judged or, or that kind of thing. So I guess that makes it a little bit more difficult for them to um, appreciate the sport. But I think we're starting to grow a little bit more traction now um, across all the winter sports. And um, it was interesting being... Um, on tour this year to a few new locations that I hadn't been to before, for example, Japan, and I was there, and these, the Japanese just love mogul seeing. They froth out over it. It was, it was really um, really exciting to, to be competing there, and it made me really happy to, to see people love the sport that I love so much and, and kind of share that excitement. Um, and I really hope that sort of Australia can kind of pick up on that and, and learn a little bit more about the sport. And, of course, you mentioned, you know, different locations you've been able to go through with the World Cup, and one of those this year was Pyeongchang, where, where you're almost definitely going to be next year, <laughs> the way it's looking right now. Uh, so what was it like competing there? You know, is this, uh, I guess, a bit of a preview of next year's Olympics? You know, did you have uh, uh, any expectations going in? You know, is it sort of a work in progress at this point? Well, what were you able to uh, take apart from visiting there this past year? Yeah, definitely a work in progress. It was actually my first ever time competing in 
in Asia this year. So uh, Korea was that first Asian event um, on the Asian leg of the tour, and uh, it was just great to check out the environment, check out the country. I've never really experienced that kind of culture before, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was it was really cool hanging out down in the city in Seoul, and and then getting up to check out the venues. I was really impressed with how far along they'd come in their preparations for the Olympics. I, I remember being in Sochi a couple of years before and we, we got up there for the test event and we're thinking, wow, this all has to be ready in in about 12 months' time. But it seemed like in Korea they had a really good hold on it and I was impressed with the course and the facilities and, um, and yeah, just really happy with my skiing in that event. But definitely, definitely a work in progress. I just took that event as another World Cup, just gaining information for next year and and trying to have a good performance on that day, which, you know, just gave me some feedback for what I need to work on in, in the coming months. And, um, yeah, definitely a lot of work to go, I think. You said earlier about how, you know, it's not necessarily like one thing's clicking this year with the team, but, you know, it's uh, been developing over time. And it's interesting because you're only, what, 22, 23 years old? Yeah, 22. I turned 23 in September this year. <laughs> So, I mean, at 22 years old, you're the number one skier in the world right now. Um, but at the same time, you're probably, uh, I guess, on the way to, what, your third Olympics because you debuted all the way back in Vancouver, which it's crazy to think at that age to be in the Olympics. Uh, what was that like? Like, yeah, I guess, first of all, how much uh, notice do you really get before you're going to go there? You know, I, I mean, when we were talking to Andy Naughty, she was saying that, you know, going to the Olympics is really just about like a few weeks before you get there, before it's even finalized. And what was your reaction when you realized you are going to go there? Yeah, it was Vancouver was absolutely crazy. Um, it's it's like I can't even believe it. Thinking back now, almost eight years ago, but um, I went off after I competed in my first World Cup. Went off to Europe to compete on Europa Cup, and um, with no idea that I'd qualified for the games and. As the, the weeks progressed after that, I'd competed in two Europa Cups and then one day after competition, my, my coach sat me down and, and let me know that I'd actually qualified for the Games and I was just mind blown. Uh, and then a couple of days later, I was flying out to, to Vancouver to compete in my first Olympics as a 15-year-old. So um, it was kind of thrown in the deep end, but definitely a, a very valuable experience and I was able to take what I learned at those Games throughout the next couple of years leading into Russia. I mean, in those games, again, I would assume at that age, you know, without really having the expectation that you would make it or anything like that, I mean, whatever position you finish in, it's probably just the experience that was the the, the biggest thrill over anything. Yeah, definitely. That Those first games for me just, just came, at, came at me so fast. So um, I really just kind of treated it as um, just another event, just the next week of competition after a few weeks on the Europa Cup circuit, which I think worked out really well for me because... Um, I was just able to focus on my skiing and, and kind of let go of any distractions. And uh, when I was there, I was able to see some of those top women, how they trained and competed and sort of see what, what, I, what was required of me over the coming years to, to take it to that next level. And just, uh, just an, an incredible experience and um, definitely ignited the fire for the next four years going into Russia. And when you were in Sochi, I mean... Again, there's a lot of coverage here in Canada, but I think most of that has come since Sochi just because of how well we perform there. But I don't remember like a lot of talk about you know uh, the potential for you to medal when you were in Sochi, and then you ended up finishing, what was it, in fourth or fifth place? 
Yeah, I um, I had an interesting season that year. I was kind of up and down and, and all over the place uh, with my skiing. I, I think the first World Cup of the season, I had a good qualification result and then ended up finishing just off the podium in fourth. And then I was kind of in that sort of teetering on super final, not making super final for the rest of the season leading up to the game. So um, I went into the games just kind of uh, trying to figure out my skiing and, and I was still trying to figure it out on training on course in Russia and I think finally on the night I started to to figure out that course and and you know just had that competitive fire rise up within me and and pulled out a result uh fifth place result mm-hmm. see and just the advancement from one game to the other is insane too that you can go from you know 23rd or 24th up to fifth place in a single games and then you know, going into this year, I mean, I guess everything also can be unpredictable. I mean, throughout this season, you pretty much dominated every single World Cup event. But, you know, there were a few where, you know, all of a sudden somebody just comes out of nowhere and you're left off the podium. I mean, what are some of the factors that, that make this such an unpredictable sport? Because I even look at what happened in the World Championships on the men's side and, you know, the, the skier who won, I can't remember pronounce his name but he wasn't really yeah. anywhere to be seen before this happened and you know something like that can happen on any event how i mean i remember one event earlier this year i can't remember the location where the winds were just so strong and you're seeing the first few skiers and they're going all out and they're all wiping out and then the last few who come down i mean you guys are like as cautious as can be like how many different factors and variables do you have to be on guard for yeah, that's right. That's that's um, the thing with mogul skiing is there's so much um, that can go right, so much that can go wrong, and and there are so many variables with within what you do as a skier, and then in the conditions and the course and that kind of thing. So, um, really, in mogul skiing, you've got to be on your guard 24/7, and and know that someone, some wild card, can come from the back and. Um, there are always, you know, at the moment there are, there are so many competitive men and women that can be on the podium on any given day. So, uh, yeah, I think with mogul skiing, um, what we saw this year was, yeah, different courses maybe suited different skiers better and, and worse at different events. And, um, yeah, it was very exciting to see Akuma um, on top of the podium at World Championships. He was just skiing phenomenally. And, and that's the kind of thing that can happen in mogul skiing is, um, some guys might be skiing really well all season, but in competition, perhaps they've made a few mistakes here and there that kind of puts them further back in the pack. So you don't. Some people might not have kind of noticed them or, or had them in their in their mind for picked as a, a potential podium athlete, and then all of a sudden that they pull it together in the run and at the time that it counts, and they're they're up there. So I think that's really exciting for spectators in our sport, and um, something that's yeah, it's definitely. Um, a great aspect of the sport that that I love. Another thing that's always fascinated me is the fact with moguls that you have really two types of competition. You have like the solo where you're just going down your own and then you have dual moguls, which is the most exciting thing in the world to watch because you're basically doing the exact same thing. You're just side by side with somebody. Are like are there small differences that you when you compete in that because I'm watching this thinking, you know, you have to be considering what the other person's doing but I mean it's not even necessarily about how fast you're getting down or anything like that I mean do, do you even focus on the skier next to you in dual moguls yeah so um single moguls is is kind of the I guess the more serious one if you want to label the the two different events and it, because it is the olympic event um but we do have dual moguls as well on the world cup circuit and world championships so um 
dual moguls is is super exciting and I think if you'll ask any athlete on the tour they'll say that they love competing duels it's so much fun it's it's kind of um the one where you, you got you get you get pushed by the person next to you and and I guess you, your only goal in each run that you do is to to ski a better run a faster run than that person next to you and, and just get through the rounds and Sometimes that's crazy because it pushes you to to the very edge and to the very limits, which is awesome for spectators because they can they can watch that and they love the excitement of jewels and it's also good for people who have kind of not watched the sport before or aren't so familiar with it because you've got two skiers side by side, so it's it's much easier for them to compare the two skiers and and um, they can kind of get in there too and go, oh, I think that one that one won that time or I th- I think the red course won that time and um, yeah, super exciting and. Yeah, every every athlete loves competing jewels. Now, we're going to move on to some final questions, but before we do that, there's uh, one thing I have to ask because my uh, co-host on the show, Ben, who's in the middle of recording a radio show right now, I think he's actually interviewing another Olympian, if I'm uh, correct on that, but <laughs> he did send in a listener question, um, <laughs> a listener question or host question, mm-hmm. whatever it is, or a series of them, which all has to do with, I guess, the hero of Australian mogul skiing, who I only found out last year was actually Canadian, um, Dale Big Smith. So I don't know <laughs> how much uh, familiarity you have with Dale Big Smith, but uh, he was basically just asking uh, if uh, you had an opinion on how awesome Dale Big Smith is. Yeah, um, for us as Australian mogul skiers, we are so grateful for for what Dale has done for freestyle in Australia. Basically, um, myself, Matt and Brody, we've had the pathway paved for us since we were young athletes. Um, we watched Dale at his peak, you know, around 2006. We were in primary school and we got to see him training on our home course back in Australia. It was dream and, and see see him there and then win the gold medal in 2006. It was like, it was super inspiring for us and, um, and that that really helped us and helped freestyle within Australia. We we received more funding. Our programs became a lot more solidified, and um, for us that was good because we could see that it was possible um, in our country to, to have success in the sport. And um, you know, fast forward a few more years, I got to compete in Vancouver as Dale's teammate, and um, got to know him a little bit more and and see that he was you know he was helpful for me and. Um, you know, I was there kind of, I didn't know anyone and um, this whole world stage was a new environment and he, and he was he was a great kind of support there and then um, the same kind of thing uh, in Sochi. And um, I guess for us, we've just looked up to his skiing and um, then, you know, it was great this year having Dale come and visit us in Dare Valley for the World Cup. He came and supported and watched us, gave us a few pointers and you were so grateful for that and, um, you know, we're just lucky to, to have him paved the way for us. Ben also did, and this is a reference that's going to go over my head, but he also wanted to know if you ever got invited to Dale's private island. Uh, is this a thing there? <laughs> Does he have a private island? That, Apparently. He, he asked about an, <laughs> an internet spam business and a private island. So I've just heard all these stories about him over the last couple of months about how he's almost like this legend in Australia. That you, you never see him, you never hear from him, but everybody knows he's there. Well, uh, that's the first I've heard of the private island, but um, I'm actually, one of my hobbies is surfing as an Australian, so I'm definitely waiting for an invite now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, one other question I have to ask is, uh, you know, you told me off air that you're you're literally in the middle of training right now. So uh, how much uh, time do you have to spend before you're prepping for the next season? And what does the training consist of? This is something that's always fascinating to me is how people prepare for sports like this where you can't necessarily ski around. Yeah, so our, our season finished um, early March at the World Championships in Spain and then we had about a, a month of kind of recovery, rest and um, break, getting ready for this for the year ahead. Um, we're back in, in the gym now, prepping our bodies with the first training camp of the year, which is strength and conditioning. And we're in the gym working on that sort of baseline strength and fitness that will set us up for um, out on snow and water ramp training camps for the rest of the year. And it's going to be, it's certainly going to be a busy year with training camps. We've, we've got a lot of work we need to do in the gym, uh, water ramping, and then of course on snow as well. So really looking forward to um, those training camps ahead and, and seeing what I can get out of my skiing over the coming months. You know, to everybody listening at home, that basically sounds like summer camp to the rest of us. I mean, I'm sure it's grueling, but it sounds <laughs> like a blast to train for this. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, I mean, I love training. I love uh, turning up with my team and, and working on snow and jumping. And, you know, even in the gym, it's, it's definitely a grind, but you know that that hard work is going to pay off once you're on snow and working on those more technical skills. You've got to have this kind of background training in there to, to get you through the days on the hill. So you have that in mind every every workout that you're doing in here that, you know, it's going to pay off for you once you're, you're doing the fun training. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we do have to go into a set of questions here, which uh, I will tell you, you're going to have the privilege of being the first Australian to answer these questions because up until now, it's been a Canadian thing. Uh, just to give you a bit okay. of a background, during the the Rio Olympics, they gave a lot of our athletes this questionnaire that they filled out like in handwriting. You're not going to do it in handwriting because that doesn't translate well on <laughs> a podcast. But uh, there's some fun questions in here. There's some Olympic theme questions, uh, some training questions, a little bit of everything. So uh, you're going to be okay. the first Australian to answer this. So I know that uh, this is probably the, the, the biggest the honor pressure, next to... The pressure is on. <laughs> yeah, this is this is your biggest honor next to winning the World Championship this past year. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so let's start off with my favorite Olympic moment is... My favorite Olympic moment uh, would probably be... Um, Oh, there's too many. Probably um, my earliest Olympic moment, and that was watching Elisa Kaplan win gold in Salt Lake City in 2002. So you were always sort of behind the Winter Games? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in a ski resort, so uh, when the Winter Games were on, I was just fixed to the TV. <laughs> uh, so how about this one? If I could choose any Olympic host city, it would be? Any Olympic host city uh, for winter or summer? Uh, either. Okay, for winter, I'd probably choose Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And then if it was summer, uh, oh, Melbourne, my, my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious choice there. Um, in my yeah. spare time, I most like to... My spare time, I most like to be at the beach and go surfing with my family and my dog. And Dale Big Smith near his private island. <laughs> Still waiting for that invite. Yeah. Uh, the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave me was? The weirdest instruction a coach ever gave me would probably be 
to do less. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? Did it pay off? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> They're usually right. <rot. laughs> uh, my favorite workout is, I wonder if this is going to be something that you're doing on or off the air today. <laughs> uh, my favorite workout, um, probably just on snow training, really, jumping. But if we're talking about the gym, uh, I really enjoy running. So. Oh, that's Spence my favorite. Yeah. I, not just because Especially it's... if the sprints are on the beach. Beach sprints are my favorite. Oh, you mean running on the sand? Yeah, running on the sand. Oh, I haven't even tried that. That sounds a little bit too difficult for me, so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite sandwich is? Oh, my favorite sandwich would be... Oh, oh cheese and Vegemite. See, that's something I've never tried, but I've heard <laughs> such good things and also such bad things about Vegemite from Australians. It seems to divide a lot of people. Vegemite is Vegemite is the one spread that every Australian loves and every non-Australian absolutely hates. <laughs> <laughs> but we grow up with it, so for us, it's uh, it's something that you kind of you're born into. It, I yeah. Think. Um, this next one, it requires drawing, which again, doesn't translate very well over a podcast, but the question was draw a picture of a Canadian animal that doesn't really apply to you. I was just wondering, do you, do you know any Canadian animals? Do you have a favorite Canadian animal? <laughs> well, we train in Whistler, um, every May and we always see a lot of black bears. So I get really oh. excited when I'm there and I see black bears. We have no bears in Australia, so probably, yeah, probably the bears. All right. Uh, I've also learned when uh, my co-host Ben was here uh, in Canada this past winter that a koala is not a bear because I would have said my favorite Australian yes. animal is a koala bear, and I keep getting corrected on that. It's yeah, not a bear. It's just a koala. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could have any superpower, it would be? Any superpower it would be teleportation because as an Australian, we live about a 15-hour flight from just about anywhere. So for us, we do a lot of traveling throughout the years. So if I could teleport to all my training camps and competitions, that that would be pretty uh, pretty helpful. Yeah, <laughs> skip the long flights. <laughs> the best candy in the world is? Uh, I'm not much of a candy person. In Australia, we don't call it candy. We call them lollies. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd probably say licorice. Okay. Um, as, as a kid, my favorite sports team was? Uh, as a kid, my favorite sports team probably the Australian Olympic team. <laughs> yeah, that would be the correct answer. Also, the only Australian team I'm familiar with, so thank you for answering yeah. that. <laughs> I, I also support um, our national sport is AFL, and I support the Brisbane Lions, so oh, okay. I've always been a Brisbane Lions supporter. My brother is huge into Australian football, like to the point where he just paid an obscene amount of money for an app that gives him access to every game every single week. So I'll have to ask him if that's one of the teams he roots for. Uh, okay. Um, They're doing well so far this year. <laughs> as a kid? Oh, no, we just asked that one. So let's skip it. Uh, <laughs> my favorite sports movie is? My favorite sports movie... Um... Oh, actually, it's not a, I mean, it's a documentary film, but I watched um, View from a Blue Moon last year, which is John John Florence's surfing movie. Um, I really enjoyed that. Oh, I haven't even see, heard of that one. Is it uh, like a professional surfer? Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he was last year's world surfing title holder, world mm -hmm. champion, so... 
Um, if I could live anywhere in the world, it would be. If I could live anywhere in the world, it would be Australia, and probably <laughs> specifically the surf coast in Victoria. And uh, we'll use this as the final question here. And I don't quite understand why they phrase it this way. It just says, "When I was little, I always thought." So something you thought when I, I was know, <laughs> something you thought when you were a kid that you're like, "Wow, that was dumb," or maybe something that you dreamed of when you were a kid. Anything. Or probably when I was little, I probably always thought I'm cold because I was always skiing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I'm in Australia. It's not supposed to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, seriously. Or I always was... thought about skiing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, I just wanted to say when uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, being a kid and watching Dale Bake Smith and everything and all the pride and everything, uh, just as a final question, I, I, I guess, has it even sunk into you yet? that you know, a year from now people are going to be watching you regardless of how the Olympics go, that you're going to have people watching you where they're like, wow, we have an Australian Olympian that's like you know, the top in the world and a front runner and you know, representing this entire country. Like, has that sunk into you yet? Um, I guess I haven't really thought about it like that, but um, I definitely hope that um, people are inspired and, and basically I just want to lead by example and, and hope that I can represent Australia um, the best that I can and, you know, set a good, good example, especially for young athletes and winter sport athletes in Australia and um, super stoked if, if they can um, they can sort of learn from me and draw some inspiration from me as well. Well, as I said earlier, I mean, moguls is my favorite sport and, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to get me not to root for a Canadian, but I found myself at the <laughs> beginning of the season being like, oh, how is this Australian girl beating the deferral of points? Why is Andy Naughty losing her? <laughs> And at the end of the season, you know, I'm watching with my wife, and she's like, oh, that's too bad the Canadians aren't winning. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Like, how can you beat Brittany Cox? I mean, you're the best in the world for a reason. <laughs> it's been such a great season. It's such a pleasure to watch you. Thank you. Thanks very much. And thanks for being on the show. And uh, we're hoping the next time you're on here, maybe a year from now, you'll be coming on talking about your experiences of winning in Pyeongchang. Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> thanks very much for having me. Honestly, a massive thanks to Brittany Cox and as well Andy Naughty last week for doing these interviews. I'm such a huge fan of this sport. Uh, just being able to get some of these athletes on the show is fantastic. And we still have more coming. We don't have an exact date on when the next episode is going to go out or exactly what it is. But we would like to continue on with these preview sports. And I'm not sure if we're going to have any more moguls ones coming up. But uh, other sports that we can expect at some point in the future. Maybe we're going to be doing some speed skating coming up. I uh, have a couple of ideas on that. Uh, who knows, maybe we'll get lucky and we'll do some hockey previews, but there'll be lots more to come on here. Uh, lots of plans we have. And if there's a certain sport that you're interested in hearing about on here as we're getting ready for the Winter Olympics next year, maybe even if it's one of the newer sports, then just let us know and uh, we'd be happy to cover it or reach out and try to get some guests on here for some of those sports. Thank you everybody out there who's been listening so far and continue to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. I believe we're not on there yet. We should be soon. As well, like us on Facebook, comment on Facebook, send us an email, uh, send us a follow on Twitter, whatever. And we'll be back very soon with more Off the Post.